0: I want to invite you to take your Bibles and, and turn with me this morning to uh, Hebrews. Uh, you know, I was thinking about, I was going to go a different direction this morning, being Baptist Men's Day. And as it worked out, the uh, Scripture passage this morning is specifically aimed, in all probability, at men. And I'll have more words to say about that in the introduction. But uh, these verses in in, uh, chapter 5 of Hebrews 12 and following in all probability were aimed at men in the congregation. And so anyway, uh, we will continue then with our journey through the book of Hebrews. And looking this morning at what is admittedly... Probably the most difficult passage in the entire New Testament. So uh, hang on, uh, pray for me and pray for yourself, and I'll try to make it as simple as possible. Uh, would you stand for the reading of God's word, please? I want to begin reading in in uh, verse. Actually, I'm gonna. I said verse twelve. We'll back up to verse eleven. The writer says, about this we have much to say. He's been talking about the high priesthood of Jesus Christ. About this we have much to say and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened... For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles it is worthless and near to be cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our hearts this morning, in our minds. Lord, that you would teach us your word. As Jesus said in John 16, that the Holy Spirit, when He comes, would be our teacher. And He would show us things that we need to know. Father, I pray that we would hear the warning in this passage, but that we would also understand the great promise. Again, we pray for the men in our church, that we would all grow to maturity, that we would be used for your kingdom's purposes, that our lives would bear fruit. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I want to begin this morning by telling you uh, the case of two men, actually brothers. And these two brothers are three year or were, I should say, three years apart in age. Their names are... Steve and James. Both men as young youth attended a youth camp and were saved. And no one doubted the genuineness of the salvation of either Steve or James. Now after conversion, both men continued to grow up in their teen years and both attended college studying engineering. Likewise, both married, both stayed in the South where they started families. James and his wife continued in church and James was very active in his faith. He loved his Bible and it was apparent to all that James was very serious about the things of the Lord. He regularly went on mission trips with adults from his church and he spoke to others about faith in Christ. James was not a pastor but he was a tremendous blessing to his pastor he seldom missed church even on Wednesday nights now occasionally James would venture out to the local seminary and he would enroll in classes he never felt called to the ministry, he just loved the Lord and he wanted to learn all that he could about God's word and he combined his learning with serving. He put his learning into practice. He was not perfect. And yet those around him said that they never heard him use profanity. They never heard him uh, gossip. They never heard him say anything unkind about anybody. And the testimony given of him was that he displayed The fruit of the Spirit as well as anybody they'd ever known. When he died, his church grieved his loss and mourned his absence dearly. Now Steve was saved at the same camp as James. No one ever questioned Steve's salvation from friends and parents alike. Everybody saw that something very real had transpired uh, in his life. Yet mysteriously Steve never seemed to grow up in the Lord like his brother James. Once he was out of college he... uh, He married and he and his wife traveled a great deal. He enjoyed his hobbies. He loved playing golf. He loved woodworking and he loved working on old cars. And most of his time was consumed there. Steve and his wife seldom attended church. He he readily confessed that he knew very little of his Bible, didn't really seem to be concerned about the fact that he didn't know much about it, and likewise he never served anywhere in the body of Christ that anyone had recollection of. He never went on a mission trip, later confessed that he had never cracked open a single book on the Christian life. When family discussions occurred at at Christmas gatherings, he readily confessed that he would be of no use whatsoever in weighing in on what the Bible taught about any given topic. When Steve passed, there was little to show for his Christian life. Again, no one, not even James, ever questioned the legitimacy of Steve's salvation experience. But there was just never much fruit. He lived a good life. His language and his habits were generally positive and his attitude towards others was likewise admirable. There was just no Christian fruit that anybody could pinpoint to in his life. And there was no legacy of Christian service that he left behind for others. Now folks, tragically, stories like those two brothers, James and Steve, are all too common. Maybe you even know someone like that. Your own version of Steve and James. You know, matters of salvation and Christian growth are indeed a mystery because it's a heavenly transaction that you and I don't see. Now, we're supposed to see evidence of it in someone's life, but you and I do not see the heavenly transaction itself. And so it's a mystery. Yet at the same time, the Bible does give us some things that we can look to. It gives us some answers, and I believe Hebrews 5 and 6 are chapters that help us with some of those answers. Now obviously these are very difficult verses. As I mentioned before, chapter 6 is is generally considered the most difficult passage in the entire New Testament. But men, I want you to understand something. These verses have much to say to you and me this morning. You see, based on one theory of the book of Hebrews, the book itself was written to a group of men. This theory says that the whole entire book was written to those priests in Acts chapter 6 who were converted. Remember what was going on in Acts chapter 6. The church was divided because the Hellenistic Jews felt like their widows were being overlooked. And so the apostles gathered everybody together and they said, Men and brethren, it's not right that we should leave the Word of God to wait on tables, appoint some men that uh, can be over this task. They need to be men of a good reputation and men full of the Spirit and we will put them over this task. And that first group of men was elected. And then Acts chapter 6 goes on to tell us that with this reorganization of responsibilities, the church flourished and a great number of people were won to the Lord. And Luke tells us there in Acts chapter 6 that even a good number of priests were won to the Lord. Jewish priests who came to faith in Christ. And because they were Jewish priests who were now believers, they were heavily persecuted. They fled Jerusalem. They went to Antioch. And they had a very difficult time adjusting to their faith in Christ. They were growing tired, they were growing weak, they were growing discouraged. And some of them began entertaining the possibility of simply going back to the temple and the temple services and everything that they had become acquainted with from the Old Testament and from being in the priesthood themselves. And so the whole entire book of Hebrews is written telling them you can't go back because it all pointed to Christ. It's fulfilled in Christ. Everything back there in the Old Covenant is obsolete. God's not dealing with people on the basis of the Old Covenant anymore. If you go back, you're not going to find God there. And everything you have in Christ is better. And so you need to press on. The writer of Hebrews is writing as a pastor to these men, if that theory is correct. He's writing as a pastor and he's trying to encourage them. Now in the book of Hebrews there are some very strong warning passages. This perhaps the strongest of all. But even in the warning passages, he's trying to stir them up to love and good deeds and get them to press on in their relationship to Christ and the example that they set for others. And so, men, this is very much about you. Maybe you've grown discouraged, maybe you've grown tired. Maybe you've grown complacent. And if that's the case, this portion of Scripture is likely to speak to you as much as any other portion. First of all, with me this morning, I want you to see that there is a challenge for those who are deliberately complacent. He says in in verse 11 and 12, About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. He's just written to them about the high priesthood of Jesus Christ and he compares the high priesthood in the Old Testament to the high priesthood of Jesus showing that what we have in Christ is so much better than anything in the Old Testament. And then he says there's a lot more that I would like to talk to you about concerning this but I can't. And the reason I can't It's because you've become dull of hearing. And if you're holding the NIV in your hands, the NIV, at least the newest version of the NIV, says you're no longer even trying to understand. You're not even trying anymore. That's actually a good translation. They've checked out to some degree. I think we'd have to admit they've grown pretty complacent. I want to ask you this morning, are you complacent? It can happen. In fact, it can happen to anybody if we're not careful. Some get complacent because they grow discouraged in life. You know, sometimes people think being a Christian is supposed to be easy. Hey, I come to faith in Christ and everything about my life, everything that was hard is going to get better. I'm not going to have trials anymore. I'm not going to have tribulations anymore. All these problems I'm having in my life, all these problems are somehow or another going to disappear now because I'm a Christian. I'm not going to experience trials and tribulations like I used to as an unbeliever. You ever met anybody like that? I have. I've, met, I've spoken to people before that said, Pastor, I didn't realize, I thought becoming a Christian, my life was going to get better. Not only has it not gotten any better, but I've got a whole new set of trials and tribulations now because I am a Christian. And they get Discouraged. You know, the Bible makes it clear that we live in a fallen world where bad things happen, even to Christian people. And on top of that, we have an enemy. And that enemy, Satan, roams around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So there's all kinds of things that make life hard. You might be dealing with an extended illness and you're discouraged about that. Maybe you have a wayward child that you've been praying for or a wayward grandchild and you're discouraged because you don't see God working in their life like you would like Him to. It seems like maybe your prayers aren't being answered. Sometimes, when people don't see God answer their prayers the way they think He should, then they get discouraged. This was a discouraged group. So much so, He says, You're not even trying anymore. Folks, that's pretty discouraged. Isn't it? If you're so discouraged that you're basically saying, you know what, I'm, I'm giving up on this whole church thing. I'm giving up on this whole Christianity thing. Life is just too hard and I'm not getting any help. I'm just giving up on it. Now what is it that makes this even more tragic for this group? What makes it even more tragic for this group? Say that again. They were believers, but who else did I say they might have been? Priests. Now, if that's true, if they're priests who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, what could they have added to the body of believers? Would they have much to add? You better believe it. They would have a rich understanding wouldn't they of the Old Testament. And now that they've become Christians and they see how the whole Old Testament points to Jesus Christ and 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 the light bulbs have come on so much so that they've come to faith in Christ, man, they could have been a tremendous example to others as the church went out on mission trips and, and evangelism trips and especially as the church was penetrating into pockets of lostness among Jewish people. Boy, they could have been wonderful, wonderful teachers. And yet, look at what he says here. You still need somebody to teach you the elementary stuff all over again. You're still just needing easy, basic ABC stuff. You're like babies who need milk. How would you like it if I got up in the pulpit one Sunday and looked out at the audience and said, you're all just a bunch of babies still. You won't grow up. You are still wanting milk. You don't want to chew on the Word. You don't want to chew on doctrine. You're You're just wanting this easy stuff all the time. Christianity 101. Over and over and over again, you're just a bunch of babies. If I ever got up and said something like that, would you be offended? Let me ask you this. Would the shoe fit for anybody? You have to be the judge of that before God. Men, how about it? Without being offensive to ladies in the church because I don't know where the church would be today without the ladies but the Bible says that the men are supposed to be the spiritual leaders. You're to be the leaders in your home. You're to be the leaders in your marriage. You're to be the leaders at church. But just any just about any pastor will tell you when there are needs in his church family and, and a blanket call is put out for people people to step forward and fill in positions and and take ownership of certain opportunities and needs guess who it is that steps forward? It's the ladies by and large it's the ladies now this used to be understandable men worked outside the home, the women stayed home years and years and years ago the women stayed home, minded the home front Maybe the attitude was, they have opportunity. I don't. I'm traveling. I'm working. But today, women are working outside the home too. Then they come home, they do all the cooking and cleaning, all the taking care of the kids while you sit on the couch in your boxer shorts playing video games. You see, it used to be you could hide behind your job and that your wife didn't have a job outside the hall. You could hide behind that. But guess what, guys? We can't do that anymore. But you know what? It's still the ladies doing everything. They do the cooking and cleaning at home, looking after the kids, going out working. And then coming to church and doing the lion's share of the work too. Maybe I better move on. (laughs) But I can't move on yet. This book we're going to be studying. Disciplines of a Godly Man. Recent study conducted... And the United Methodist Church revealed that 85% of the subscribers to their denominational devotional book are women, 85%. The overwhelming majority of books bought in Christian bookstores and on Christian websites are bought by women. It's been demonstrated today that women are reading Christian literature, men are not. It's also true that more women are concerned about the spiritual welfare of their husbands than husbands are concerned about the spiritual welfare of their wives. In fact, one women's Christian magazine found that the articles that garner the highest volume of interest are articles focusing on the spiritual development of Husbands, In other words, women are wanting to see their husbands growing spiritually and are apparently doing a great deal of reading on the subject matter to see if there's something they can do to help. Women who attend church without their husband outnumber men who attend without their wives by four times. The ch- typical church service is roughly sixty forty makeup. Sixty percent women, forty percent men. It's at, to be exact, it's fifty nine forty one. Is the makeup? Men, you get the picture. You get the picture. We need to step up to the plate, don't we? Amen. And you know what? I wish me preaching on the subject matter would would be the answer to it something tells me it won't be but men you see what the writer of Hebrews is saying he's saying some of you ought to be leaders some of you ought to be teachers by now but I'm still just having to go over baby stuff with you a deliberate complacency secondly Christian growth, I want you to see, is a lifelong process. Look at what he began saying there in verse 13. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The fact of the matter, men, is that you and I have to take ownership for our spiritual lives. You've got to take ownership. I can't give you everything you need your Sunday school teacher can't give you everything you need a preacher on the internet can't give you everything you need you have to open up your Bible and you have to dig in and you have to start studying yourself and and men I want to tell you something your Christian growth and usefulness is going to be directly related to your time in God's word I want you to listen to a scripture verse that makes this very Point Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. What's the writer say there? All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Listen to this: that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You see what he's saying there. Your spiritual growth and maturity and usefulness is going to be directly related to how you're growing in God's Word. In addition to that, look at all the great material that we have today. If ever we lived in an age where we can't use lack of availability as an excuse, it's today. You can download stuff from the internet. You can download Christian courses on the Bible, on theology, on church history, on on living the Christian life, on being a husband. Just about anything you can imagine, you can find it today. But the problem is, guys, we're not doing it. We're not taking advantage of the Bible on our shelf. Somebody said one time, what what translation should I read? The translation that you will read. We say, I don't have time. And yet, can any of us? Can, wouldn't any of us say we're probably watching too much TV? I think any of us could say that. Watching t- too many sports, engaged in too many hobbies. Am I saying you, you can't do those things? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying we can't do all of those things endlessly to the neglect of our Christian growth. We're entertaining ourselves to death today, guys. And in addition to this book that we're going to be studying together, I want to encourage you to to order an old one. It's been out there for years. Dr. John Piper, years ago, wrote a book. You remember the title of it? Some of you read it. Don't waste your life. Guys, that's a great book, Piper's book. Don't waste your life. Read that. I want to also challenge you to take, start taking your Bible and, and, and begin maybe in easier places. The book of Philippians, uh, the gospel of Mark or something like that. I, don't jump in with Ezekiel. Get a good study Bible with notes, ESV study Bible, the Zondervan NIV study Bible, the MacArthur study Bible, the Reformation study Bible. There's a plethora of good study Bibles with notes. Begin reading books of the Bible. I'm convinced we need to stop doing this shotgun hit and miss approach where we'll read a little passage here in one book one day and a little passage over. I'm not saying you can't study little topics you love, but I'm saying you gotta also read the Bible the way the Bible was written. God wrote you wouldn't write get a letter from your wife when y'all were dating, and she wrote you a 10-page letter and you read Portions of page 4 and lay the rest of it aside. You'd start at the beginning. You'd read to the end. And you'd keep reading. Read God's Word that way. Because it's going to be amazing over time the way things are going to start coming together. You're going to start seeing how personalities and characters and doctrines and all that starts fitting together when we read the Bible the way the Holy Spirit inspired it. But notice what he says in verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil." By studying God's Word, you're training your senses of discernment. And so you study, you keep studying, you ask the Holy Spirit to be opening your understanding. You keep studying even when it's hard. And over time, you're going to see something wonderful happen because over time, your senses of discernment, you're going to start seeing things. Guys, again, it's not a drive through express. It won't happen like that. But over time, it will happen. That's the knowledge part. Is the knowledge part alone the answer? No. You've got to start there. Because with the knowledge part, you understand who God is. We need to understand who He is. And we learn that in the Bible People who don't turn to the Bible turn to all kinds of other things and get it wrong. Who is God? How does He work? How has He worked in the lives of His children through the years? We start learning all of that as we're studying God's Word. But then as James says, we've got to become what? Doers. We've got to do something with what we're learning. Turn with me over to 2 Peter chapter 1 just a moment. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, look at what he says there in verse 5 and following he says for this very reason make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and with ver- and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love Fall, For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance, entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see what he's saying? God saves you. God does it. But then you have to start applying yourself and, and growing yourself. Nurturing your faith in the Lord. And he says if you do that, Peter is saying there, if you do that, you know what? You're going to see God start doing some wonderful things in your life and, and useful. And, and you're going to know it's God doing this. And it's going to give you great assurance in your own faith. Men, don't stay a child. Put away childish things. Don't stay immature in your handling of God's Word. If you're going to be immature, don't be immature with God's Word. Be an infant with something else, not the Bible. I wish some of our guys would get together. Remember that old show, the A-team, when there was a special... I mean, they just really needed these guys with special training to go in and do something. I wish we had an A-team of guys studying the Word in our church and that that would spread. Thirdly, there's the danger of the loss of reward and loss of blessing. I've already given away my position on these first eight verses of chapter 6. Danger of loss of reward and loss of blessing. Guys, I got to do a quick flyover here. Now, I'm going to I'm going to give you the big rocks. What the different views of this passage are. And then guys, I'm going to tell you, what's this mean for you and me today in the church today? How does it apply? So hang on with me for that, okay? But we do need to understand how these verses have been looked at. You get into chapter 6 and and it, it says it's impossible in the case of those who've once been enlightened, who've tasted the heavenly gift, so forth and so on. Then they fall away to ever restore them again to repentance. There's one group that says, oh, this is easy. It's talking about a Christian loses their salvation. John Wesley, the father of Methodism, made no bones about it. He said this passage right here is talking about a Christian... Can become unsaved. You have free will Baptist groups today that follow that. The Wesleyan groups follow that. The Nazarenes. Those are just some of the groups that go with that interpretation. The loss of salvation. The problem is if you interpret it that way, you're going to run into a great deal of difficulty with other passages in the Bible. John 10, Romans 8, Philippians 1, 6 to name a few. Those are very clear passages about the security of the believer. And one thing we're supposed to do in our Bible study is let Clear passages shed light on the more difficult. You don't let the difficult try to shed light on the clear. You let the clear shed light on the more difficult. And we have very clear passages that talk about the security of the believer. To say once saved, always saved it is not just a cliche. I think once saved, always saved is biblical truth. Another thing this crowd has to grapple with is what does this text say here? And they never say this. I've not ever heard them say this, but what do they say? Or what's this say? If you do lose it, what happens? You could never get it back. But I've talked to people in that camp before and they'll say, Oh yeah, I've been saved many times. (laughs) I'm like, huh? Oh yeah, I I got saved lots of times. I saved and lost it and saved and lost it and saved and lost it. And they'll read passages like that and I'll say, Keep reading, what's it say? You can't ever get it back. A hugely popular way of interpreting these verses. A, A great way to interpret these verses is to say that what you have here is people who initially appear to be Christians, but they're really not. That's the second way it's looked at. There are people in church who along with believers, they taste of heavenly things, but they're never born again. They may be in a revival, they may even feel and experience certain things, but in the final analysis, they've never been saved. And because they've tasted, they've come close and then turn away, they're without hope. Probably some of the guys I respect the most look at this passage that way. Dr. Wayne Gruden, some of you have his theology book. Wonderful, probably my favorite theology book. He lays out this position probably more succinctly and clearly than anybody else. But there's some problems. They'll say this group tasted of the heavenly good, they tasted but they didn't swallow. <laughs> Seriously, some of them said that. but the problem is the same word is used of Jesus tasting death for everyone. Did Jesus just taste death without dying? No. Scripture says, He died. Growing number of New Testament scholars believe what what the writer is talking about here is genuine Christians. And so, a third way looking at it is hypothetical category. The, the writer is not talking about realities; he's just talking about what what would it be like? What would it be like if a real Christian who has all these experiences could fall away? If 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 something like that could happen? They could never be saved again. It's just a hypothetical analogy, popular way of looking at it. Another position along that line says much the same, but what he's talking about is real Christians and really falling away, really apostatizing and both are presented as realities but both are not biblical realities. Bible speaking you can't put those two a Christian falling away. And so one of your finest scholars says that because it's two realities that can't take place he says the writer of Hebrews is using is warning passages like this to show that God uses these warnings with 100% effectiveness, that no real Christian ever would fall away. And then finally, the loss of reward. This side says you need to understand these verses against the backdrop of Kadesh Barnea. Remember what happened at Kadesh Barnea? They'd come out of Egypt. They were right up on, on the verge of going into the promised land. They sent 12 spies in. Ten of them came back said, we can't go. Two, Joshua and Caleb said, we can go. The crowd listened to the ten. And this side says, you know what? You, you have to admit that they're... Obviously there were false believers in that group of Israel, but there were true believers too. But because they disobeyed God, even though they were true believers, they never got to go into the promised land. They wandered for 40 years. They couldn't go back, but they couldn't go forward either. God was with them. God continued to feed them for 40 years. God didn't abandon them. He was with them. but they never got to go into the promised land and be used by God. And they say what the writer is saying here is, guys, if you and I don't grow up, if we continue to disobey God and don't grow up and don't move forward, then your life is just going to be this wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, so to speak. And you are never, you are never going to be used by God. You're just not. You're going to be like those children of Israel who just didn't go in, didn't believe God. Still belonged to God. God looked, fed them, looked after them. But they lost their reward and they lost the promise of entering. And he's saying, guys, if you don't grow up and press on with the Lord, you're going to have this spin cycle in your life until you die one day. And you're going you're to lose reward and you're going to stand before God one day and have to give an account. I may change next week. That's where i land down what this passage teaches. (laughs) But guys, either way, whatever position you take, what's what's the passage saying here to men today? You better press on and grow. Only one option for a man walking with the Lord and listening to the Lord is to press forward and do what he tells you to do. Any other option is unacceptable. He's saying, guys, grow up. It's time to grow up. Be the men of God that God saved you to be. Don't stay a spiritual child take ownership of your spiritual life. Don't make excuses. I just don't have time or ability or whatever excuse. The fact of the matter is you could grow. God's given you everything you need. The reason you're not just because you've not done it. You've got the wrong focus. Or maybe you're lazy with the things of God. Wherever you are, make Make a decision that you're going to take a step towards spiritual maturity. Men, remember what I said earlier about women? The articles they're reading, helping their husbands to grow. Your wife and your family want you to grow. They want you to be the spiritual leader in your home. Your church needs you to be the spiritual leader. So what are you going to do to take a step towards that? Don't take ten steps if you're going to be discouraged by trying to take ten steps too much. But what one step are you going to take so you'll grow in the Lord and become the man of God your wife, your family, your church needs you to be? Father, may it be so. May we be those men... In the church that years from now, there would be others to point to us and say, you know what? When I was a young person, when I was a young father, when I was a young married man, that gentleman in the church, he set the example for what I wanted to be. God, may we leave that kind of legacy.